Ecolution. Hey, welcome back to Ecolution. Like what I've done with the place? No. No? Fine. Not everyone likes how I've started growing plants up the walls and cultivating a bug hotel. But I'll say to you what I said to my mum. It's my bedroom and I will decorate it as I please. Since the start of the podcast, we've really wanted to focus on young people. Young people like you who care as much about the climate crisis as I do. I know the thing that got me started was seeing the news reports of kids on the streets, making signs and screaming that enough was enough, shouting that change had to happen, that it was their right to demand it, because it is. Kids have a human right to a clean environment to live in, a home and a planet that allows you to grow up healthy without having to worry about pollution or where your next meal is coming from. In this series, we wanted to focus on the amazing work being done by kids and adults all around the world. And one place in Ireland a lot of you get this through is Antoshka Green Schools. I'm sure your school is one. Well, some of the people most involved and active within Green Schools become climate ambassadors. Leaders who can be an example for society of how to make places we live and our entire planet better. Now, our plan is to talk with a lot of climate ambassadors, as well as lots of you, in the coming season. But we thought it might be helpful to know exactly what a climate ambassador does on a day-to-day basis. And what exactly does green activism look like in the middle of a pandemic? So, we got in touch with Saoirse. My name is Saoirse Exton. I am 15 years old. I'm from Limerick. And I'm a climate ambassador. Saoirse is in transition year, And in place of work experience, we gave her a task. Document a week in your life and send us the recordings. And she sent us a lot, which makes up the bulk of this show. But how did she first become a climate ambassador? I saw applications for the programme and I, you know, wherever I go, I'm always trying to network with other climate activists or other people who are interested in climate change, because I think it's really important to unify over this issue. And so when I saw this, I thought, well, this could be a really, really great opportunity for me. So I I signed up because I wanted to see what I could get out of it and what other people I could meet. In 2018, I saw videos of students striking in Australia. And I remember thinking to myself, how are students disempowered? You know, because I always felt like I was the one, you know, interested person. And so in the end, I contacted someone from Friday's Future Cork and I set up Friday's Future Limerick pretty much. I had support on the day and then from there it just grew. And week three was the first ever global climate strike. That was March 15th and we had 400 people immediately and it was incredible. It was really uplifting. Most strikers will head into town or stand outside the school gates on a Friday for a period of time. Saoirse and her friends are no different, but... With COVID, things have changed a little. I'm going to the strike. We're using our electric car. There you go, that's the on button pressed. Now listen how silent this is now. That's the car moving, it's really quiet. It's cool, isn't it? So it's about a half an hour drive into town for us because we live like in the absolute middle of nowhere. Uh, well, that's it's relative. That's perhaps relative. <laughs> well, it it's feels about like twenty minutes into town. So we live in a little village called O'Brien's Bridge, which is kind of far out, I guess. You can't really walk into town because there's this really dangerous road. But that's beside the point. We're very lucky because it's quite a beautiful place, actually. Yes. Yeah. 
I think when we think of campaigners, we probably think of these people who are like constantly busy and constantly doing things. And although that is partially true, it kind of isn't at the same time. There is a lot of sitting around doing nothing. Sometimes you have to stop being preoccupied with what's right in front of you and kind of realise that there is like a huge crisis going on. And alas, I am currently at the strike place and there is no one else here, so that's a bit of a shame, but oh well. Yeah. One thing that's helpful charting your own actions on climate is to write, draw or make art. Saoirse's outlet is writing a diary. I think that despite humanity's potential and intelligence, we're the dumbest animals of all. We're destroying our planet and we don't plan for the future. A squirrel, something we see as below us in intelligence, buries its nuts to ensure it has food when winter comes. Fish swim to the same safe mating grounds they do every year to ensure their offspring grow up in a safe space. But humans? We burn and break and rot and leave nothing for the figurative winter and our children. I like to come down to the river. I always feel like a walk kind of clears out my mind. I've always loved writing stories. Always. Like, I don't even remember not wanting to write a book. And I have to admit, my stories weren't always great, but practice makes perfect. And honestly, I just, I love writing. I love it so much. It comes really naturally to me. And I think that's part of the reason I love it so much, because I can just sit down and I can write. And what I produce isn't always terrible. <laughs> But definitely when I come down to the river, it, it's a way, it, it's a sort of a way of soothing and clearing my mind. If I'm feeling angry, I can walk it off. If I'm feeling sad, I can walk it off. And I love listening to the noises, even if there's no noise. That sort of tranquility is, is very, very good for me. And at the same time as that, you know, it's been proven that people who live in the countryside, the air quality is better here. So our health, lung-wise, is much better. Every day, pretty much, I go from the contrast of my school, which is right in the middle of the city, to here, which is not really in the middle of nowhere, but not quite in a central place either. I feel that. I, I really do. And I think it's kind of worrying, especially with for a city that has the highest level of asthmatics in Ireland. We really need to look at ourselves and go, what are we doing wrong? The climate crisis is probably one of the biggest problems that we will ever face. And the only way to stop it is by joining together. And the way to do that is to have respect for everyone and to make sure that they have a seat at the table, no matter where they're from, what the colour of their skin is, any of that. It shouldn't matter when it comes to climate change because it affects all of us, especially people who, you know, may not be from richer countries or maybe from the global south. So I think climate justice for me means inviting everyone, no matter what, to the table to discuss climate change and to ensure that the solutions that we have cater to them, like I said, no matter who they are. Why is it so hard to change? And why does it feel so challenging to be asked to do so? Maybe it kind of throws an ode towards the resilience of humanity, that we can just keep walking around our heads held high, kind of forgetting that there is something very serious going on. Or maybe we just don't know. Maybe the people who never forget, we're actually the healthy ones because we're aware and we, we talk about it and we, we yell about it and we write about it and our entire lives are, for want of a better word, consumed by climate action. Because what else can I do? I can't just sit idly by. And I don't have the power to actually change anything, so 
this for me anyway it just feels like the one thing that I can do to keep myself sane you know Young people like Saoirse haven't had a chance to have a say in the past. In Ireland and in other countries, we don't seem to really concentrate on the youth when it comes to important things like climate change. And I think as well as that, when we do focus on the youth, we need to have a look at which young people we are talking to. It's all good and well to talk about climate justice to someone like me, who's cis, who's straight, who's white, who has a stable background economically. But at the same time, there are people who, like I said, are disproportionately affected by climate change and it's really important to bring them to the table as well in this discussion. I think it's really really hard and I don't really have a solution to be completely honest you know. I just think it's all about networking and and talking with one another and ensuring that when we have representation we have people of all cultures and of all genders and of all sexualities there. Not in a sort of parading way as many things are done but just a way like this is okay you know, this is a person, but they happen to have different sexual orientation. This is a person, but they happen to have a different colour skin. This is a person, but they happen to have a different religion or culture. Yeah, focusing on the person rather than, you know, their differences. It can be really hard to feel like you're doing your part as best you can. And then you see other people who don't. And it really feels quite selfish. I mean, all humans are selfish. That- Unfortunately, that is the case. I don't think any human is is selfless because if a human was selfless, they would give away everything that they had and then they wouldn't be able to survive. So I think every human has to have a little bit of selfishness at least. But if we're looking at this from the perspective of the selfish tendencies of humanity, the reason why we want to save the trees is so that we can save ourselves. I'm not saying I'm an anarchist. I'm not an anarchist. It's just, obviously, I understand that the system we're in is completely terrible and most times it's going to be hard to make any change. I'm not going to go as far as anarchy but I do understand when people say that the system needs to be broken down and I wish that was possible but I honestly don't believe it is. I have hope. I may not sound like that right now. I may sound very pessimistic, very cynical, very angry, very hopeless and although that may be partially true I also know that there is a chance to make a change. There is a possibility to stand back and realise that, yeah, we can change. I tend to rant. So just a fair warning there. All too often, green issues have been seen as things that wealthy or middle class people can afford to think about. Whereas people who are living in a more precarious situation don't have the time or energy to focus on the changes we all need to make. And that can lead to a lot of us feeling divided it's important that we check what privileges we all have and how we can use them for good. I'm by no means perfect. I eat meat, although I generally dislike it. I live about 30 minutes away from Limerick City where I do absolutely everything and although we have an electric car, sometimes we have to use the other petrol-driven one. There is no reliable public transport in my area. Cycling is too dangerous and too far. I buy new clothes, although I have lessened how much I consume over the past couple of years. My house has passive heating and is quite large, our main heating systems being oil and firewood. I feel so guilty not being as perfect as everyone expects me to be. It scares me to not be perfect, and yet this world is so flawed that I have no idea how. Everything has its consequences, good or bad, and this is why we have to have complete system change. I'm also lucky. I live in a neutral country where the education system gets people to university and then to jobs generally. I have clean running water and the opportunity to have an electric car, insulation and passive heating in my home. 
I have access to more food than I will ever need in my lifetime. I am not on the front line of the climate crisis. This is part of the reason why I protest. This crisis is going to happen everywhere, but it has been happening in other places for far too long. How do you ensure that people know about that and are worried about that? You protest and you fight back. I also have immense privilege. My family has a sustainable income and we have the luxury of being able to live in the countryside. I'm not a person of colour and I've never been racially profiled against. I'm not oppressed because of my gender or my sexuality. Sometimes you just have to stop thinking about what's in, right in front of you and you have to start thinking about things that will affect not just you, but every single person you meet, every single person you look at will be affected by climate change. Every single person on this planet, no matter their socioeconomic status, the colour of their skin, where they live in the world, their access to education, women and people of colour being disproportionately affected, anything, it doesn't matter, they will all be affected by climate change. In episodes past, we talked a bit about climate grief, that feeling we've all had where it feels too much, like the changes we have to make are so great and we are so small that it might even be pointless. But how do you come back from that kind of anxiety? How do you overcome that feeling of being helpless? The way that you combat the feeling of climate anxiety and climate grief is by going out in the streets quite simply, you know? Like when I go out in, in the streets, when I protest, I feel this sense of hope. I feel the sense of kind of like gratification. And especially when I'm joined by other people or when people come up and say like fair play or when people come up and they take photos and, and they say like, keep doing what you're doing. Maybe they don't necessarily entirely mean it, but it's still really, really lovely. You know what I mean? Even though we've been going for so long People still come up, different people, and they say, how do I get involved? By going out there and by saying, this is what I care about, this is what everyone should care about, it really helps to combat my climate grief and my climate anxiety. Even though it's still there, I think it's it's always going to be there until we start solving this, you know? Every wildfire we see, every time there's an oil spillage or a gas leak, that does chip away a little bit. It makes me feel really sad. But the fact of the matter is, when I go out and I feel like I'm doing something, that helps to reverse it. If it's just a little bit, it, it still helps to reverse it, yeah. It's important to look at the places in which we live for inspiration, to find quiet in nature, or just because looking back can help us to see how we can go forward. We have this cathedral here in Limerick City that's been here since probably the, the Norman era. And it's actually really cool because it was built on the site of a Viking thing or thing, I don't know how to pronounce it, I'm just guessing, <laughs> which was the decision-making area, basically, when this was a Viking settlement. It's really weird to think that it's been here longer than any other building in Limerick, pretty much. You know, how much has the landscape changed in that time? How much has been destroyed? And how much is left? All the time we see trees being cut down, overgrown green spaces being replaced with buildings, plastic, cigarettes, everything littering the floor. I mean, the river here, I don't think I've ever seen a property clear. It's really important to remember our history because otherwise, what are we stuck with? The present and an ugly present at that. So, yeah. Understandably, Anger is at the centre of a lot of protest, and Sirsha is no different. For too long, people have been told that it's their fault. 
And although we all have a part to play, Saoirse's opinion is that there are bigger people that need to make bigger changes and that they should all be held accountable for the things that they've done. Climate change was not caused by individuals, it was actually caused by corporations. Massive corporations that for decades have been undermining the way we think of our societies. For instance, ExxonMobil, which is probably one of the biggest culprits, it's an oil company, and it knew about climate change, I think about 40 years before anybody else did. They knew and they didn't tell us. Imagine if ExxonMobil had gotten ahead of the curve. Imagine if they had said, yeah, this is a huge crisis and obviously we have a huge part in this, so instead we're going to switch to renewables. No. Another huge culprit was BP. They coined the term carbon footprint. Because of that, they were one of the biggest culprits for this whole thing that it's the individual's fault. Just because we're the ones selling you the petrol and we're the ones selling you the oil and the gas, that, that's not our fault. You're buying it, so it's yours. Imagine, for instance, there is this murderous young child <laughs> who's selling lemonade. And this child puts a little bit of poison into each thing of lemonade. And the people who buy it and drink it, they either get terribly sick or they die. Would you say that it's the individual's fault for drinking the lemonade they didn't know had poison in it? No, I would say that it was the child's fault. I think anyone would say it was the child's fault. It's just the issue is we are saying that it's... The customer's fault. I understand not wanting to feel guilty. And I feel guilty for the things that I've done. When in actual fact, I know that a lot of the things I've done pre-climate strike were because I was the customer drinking the lemonade with the poison in it. The beginning of 2020 seemed like an amazing movement in climate action. The wildfires in Australia filled the news. Protests were everywhere. And it seemed like finally the message was getting through. And then... Covid hit. All of those passionate campaigners had to go home and find a different way to protest, which brings its own challenges. Today I went out to town and I was there for a meeting with a representative of Limerick Youth Service and we were just discussing what we could do with climate action basically in Limerick. This guy was talking about maybe potentially having funding a physical space and this is all really really cool because our group really hasn't had this before so it's really cool to get that opportunity. It's really weird actually going to physical meetings because obviously with Covid all of the stuff that I was doing before has gone online which is sort of annoying but does mean that I could do it in the comfort of my own pyjamas which is always very very beneficial to me but at the same time that dynamic that feeling of being somewhere with people that you get on with I haven't had that in a couple of months and that's really sad because like going into meetings with other climate activists or other just activists full stop really builds up my morale when you're starved of meeting other people who are as passionate as you or even more passionate than you you know you have a lack of hope but then as soon as you meet those people they boost up your morale they they make me feel really hopeful because it's like if so many people care about this then that's going to mean that there has to be more people out there who also care and we can make a change. I also think there's a lot of people who care about the climate crisis but are either too scared or have too many things going on in their life to, you know, be able to stand up and say this is enough. And I get that. I really do, you know. For a long time there, I knew it was an issue. I was scared by it, but, you know, I had my life. (laughs) I didn't have the time or the patience to be able to act on it. I didn't even have the idea to be able to act on it. I didn't realise it was as crucial and as much of a crisis as it actually is. 
I suppose it was really weird to find that out. So, you're listening to Ecolution, and it's likely you care, like us, about the environment and what you can do. But as a young person, you don't know where to start. Sometimes it's really hard to get involved. Sometimes things are really, really daunting. And it's really important for you to get involved, because we need you. We need each and every one of you. Sirsha, what would you suggest? How does a kid get started? I think for younger people, to get involved you have to focus on a local issue or an issue that affects your area or let's say your local McDonald's or somewhere that you like to go. There is really famous uh, and, and actually successful campaign in the UK about these two young girls who ended up getting plastic toys out of Burger King and ended up getting, I think it was a pledge to get rid of them in McDonald's as well, just by having a petition and going and meeting with the CEOs and getting on TV and it was successful. So I think it's really important for younger activists, if maybe they can't join us on the street every week, to get out there and get their hands stuck in and do petitions and email people and say, look, I am eight years old or I am 11 years old, but I'm really concerned about this and I want you to change it for my future. I think it's really impactful to see younger people doing things like this because I'm 15 but an eight-year-old is always going to be worse affected by the, the climate crisis than I will ever be because I'm older than them. Local issues first and then work up from there. My advice would be to, to a budding activist who kind of feels that it's a bit daunting to get in touch with anyone. If you want to go out there and climate strike, just do it. You don't need guided permission. So if you're just standing outside the council buildings, not obstructing any traffic, not obstructing any foot passage, not getting in people's faces, basically, you're going to be fine. You can do it during school, you can do it after school, you can do it pretty much whenever you want. There's a whole lot of freedom in this. So be an activist. That's my advice. This episode has been about Saoirse, but she'd be the first to say that she's not alone. Each time I meet other young activists, I'm inspired, and we'll meet other climate ambassadors throughout the series. We'd like to thank Saoirse, who spent many weeks recording her actions in a very odd year. She's in transition year in Limerick, and she's used the time to think more and more on how we all need to act. Her call for each of us to be an activist is echoed by many, and we want to hear you. Each of us needs motivation. We'll leave you with Saoirse's. Growing up in a place that is full of nature, you know, like my garden is planted up with native trees, apples, everything. We have all of these beautiful plants. Being that close with nature connects me with it. Makes me understand the fact that nature is us. We are a member of nature on, on a separate level, on a, on a different personal kind of level. One of the biggest issues we have with the climate crisis at the moment is ecocide. For those who don't know, ecocide is the needless... Um, I would go as far as to say murdering, yes, of plants and animals for our own human development or just because culling them. I've never seen this squirrel. I've seen about one hedgehog in my life. I've seen one badger. I've seen about two foxes ever, two or three foxes. I live, like I said, with, with the native trees surrounding me and all of that and I haven't really seen anything. We need to stop killing plants and trees and, and everything that we need for our environment and we need to start looking at proactive changes. How can we actually put trees everywhere without our cities becoming jungles, you know what I mean? You know, it doesn't matter if there's not huge deforestation going on in Limerick or Ireland or, or Europe. As long as it's going on somewhere, which it is, it's always going on somewhere. Well, we have these issues and how can we solve them intelligently? 
I know I am saying this as someone who is not necessarily a scientist, I am not necessarily a politician, I am not an economist, I don't have a profession, I have never gone to university because I'm 15 years old, but the thing is, maybe we need to take the perspective that I might have. As a child, everything is so simplistic to children. To, to young teenagers because it's like maybe my lack of life experience helps with this because I can look at it and go well why are we saying no why are we not doing this I mean it's so obvious if a 15 year old can point this out and say if we just redistributed the budget if we just stopped paying subsidies to fossil fuel companies if we just stopped importing natural gas if we just stopped that's all if we just stopped everything that we're doing to kill the planet, it is feasible. It is possible. We can do it. We can rebuild this world. Ecolution. Ecolution was produced by Nikki Cockton for RTE Junior Radio. This is our...